The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome into the sixth episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here with Chris Whittingham. We tackle issues around the sports world. We did a Dolphins podcast. Well, we've done a couple of them now, right? Uh, Jarvis Landry and and why was one and whether or not the mm-hmm. Dolphins should re-sign him. I was sort of against giving him too much money. Um, my partner here, Chris Whittingham, in favor of trying to keep him with the Dolphins, we did one a little bit earlier on why the Dolphins have struggled to make the AFC championship over the past quarter century, haven't made it since 1993. And one of the big reasons that that has happened or hasn't happened for the Dolphins during that period of time is the quarterback position. And we're going to tackle that today here on the podcast, Chris. And as we tend to do here on this particular pod, we will take different sides of this issue, although I don't know that you feel quite as strongly about your position on this one as you did about MLS succeeding in <laughs> South Florida. I'm not sure I feel as strongly about anything uh, than, than I do so, about MLS succeeding, but yeah. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. So um so but let's let's uh let's start from here, Chris, and, and obviously this is gonna be a topic that picks up some steam as we head towards the NFL draft. Just had the senior bowl, uh the combine is coming up and when that happens there's gonna be a lot of speculation about where some of these quarterbacks are gonna go in the draft. And of course there's the issue of Ryan Tannehill's recovery, where that stands right now, and whether or not he's gonna be playing full tilt this season. All signs from the Dolphins are positive on that front. And yet, I'm still going to make the case here, Chris, today, that the Dolphins, if there is one available at their spot um, that is one of the top quarterbacks in this particular draft, the Dolphins should actually make that move this time around and get a quarterback who can be their long-term guy going forward for the future. And to start here, Chris, uh, with my first reason, and, and I think this is the big one for all of South Florida, is I still don't think we know if Ryan Tannehill is that guy to lead you to the to the promised land. And I know that people are going to bring up Nick Foles here as sort of the counter-argument to this and Trent Dilfer and some of the others from the past that you can get to a Super Bowl without an elite quarterback. Uh, but certainly what we've seen in the AFC is that's not something that happens very frequently. If you take a look at the last 15 years plus, uh, actually dating back all the way to the 2001-2002 Super Bowl, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, and Peyton Manning have dominated uh, the AFC in terms of getting to the Super Bowl. We saw Joe Flacco get in there uh, a couple of times, but it's ba- and and you can argue whether he's elite or not elite. But clearly, the other three guys are elite, and and that's the type of player that you typically need at that position to get to a Super Bowl. And I just don't know at this stage, and particularly coming off now, uh, the knee problem, which obviously was was an issue. Uh, two seasons ago, and then he he blows it blows it out before this this season. So we didn't see him play this year. To me, the uncertainty with Ryan Tannehill going forward, uh, with his contract situation right now, um, as well, I would look at a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, and and you make a compelling case, at least when it comes down to the fact that 
there are these spectacular quarterbacks that have dominated the league over the course of time, and yet we are kind of in an interesting moment in the history of the NFL because generally that has been the case where we're dominated in an era by these talismanic quarterbacks and you look at some of the guys that came up short that are sort of viewed as career failures you look at Philip Rivers or Tony Romo Ryan Tannehill is not those guys I don't think he's at that level so I think trying to figure out that dividing line between who's good enough and who isn't is getting ever murkier and you mentioned the Nick Foles and you mentioned the outliers but in these playoffs they weren't the outliers they were the final four uh, outside of Tom Brady, you had Bortles, you had Keenum, and you had uh, who am I missing? Uh, Nick Foles. Nick Foles. Yeah. So, but, so, but, so, but, but Nick Foles, Chris, is one that I would be, I, w- I would sort of be careful to throw into that mix because I mean, because the, the he, Eagles he were played, in the position correct. they were in because of Carson Wentz, and they were in the position to get two home games in the playoffs in the in the NFC playoffs as a result of that. And playing two home games makes a decided difference for a player of Nick Foles' quality. If if those games are in Minneapolis or in New Orleans, I don't think that they have a prayer to win those games. So, yes, you are outlier chasing if you use those as the examples. And, and Dave Hyde correctly put me in my place uh, when, when we did radio together on that subject. But I, I do wonder, though, I mean, Ryan Tannehill is better than those three guys, right? It, Tannehill is better than Keenum. He's better than Bortles. He's better than Foles. So I guess when you look at his career prog- uh, progression – and you look at that year under Adam Gase, they went 8-5. and five. They started the nine wins in 10 that Matt Moore finished off. Uh, best net yards per attempt when you factor out sacks. Took, took a, a lot fewer sacks. His uh, overall rating was the highest of his career. 19 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. His yards per game was down, but his sort of other indicators were up. And so I thought he had a really good year one under Adam Gase. And I guess the question is, do you think you can do better? And it is it is a risk, though, to think that you can do better because if the last thing that we're left with is a Dolphins team making the playoffs where Ryan Tannehill was quarterback, then why why would you be led to believe that he can't do that again? And the other thing, too, is, yes, he's had, you know, major knee injuries. I would say that one, it's basically one, right? Because he tried to heal one, and then it went from partially torn to totally torn. So for me, that's one knee injury. Every other indicator is that he's taken every hit He's you can pretty well consider him an Iron Man in terms of having started 77 consecutive games before that injury. And I have no reason to believe that he won't come back uh, a, a good enough athlete to do the job that he was doing before. And if Adam Gase views him to be good enough, if they got the job done the last time he was a starting quarterback, I don't think you can lose your job to injury unless you have a clear-cut ready-made replacement. And I don't think whether it's in the free agent market or in the draft, they're going to get that in round one. Well, I, I do think, and, and again, it's something we're going to get into over the course of the pod, I do think that there are options, maybe not in the free agent market, in the trade market, although obviously Kirk Cousins' situation is interesting now, though there seem to be a lot of other suitors for him, and I'm not sure, and we can go back and forth on this, whether he's an upgrade over Tannehill or not. Um, They're the some same of the guy. Me- They're the same yeah, guy. I mean, some, some, of the, some of the metrics show he is, and some of the metrics would show that he isn't. Um, you know, I, I get back to this. I, I have not been a Ryan Tannehill basher while he's been uh, a Dolphin quarterback, and I did think that he made progress uh, the year that he went eight and five and, and obviously the injury and the timing of it was unfortunate and I do think that if there's someone who could heal from this kind of situation and be the same guy he is a possibility to do that because we've seen he's a quick healer 
typically. And so, um, you know, is there going to be a question about whether or not it takes away some of, you know, the other elements of his game, which, you know, getting out of the pocket, which is something that they've used intermittently over the course of his career. There have been long periods of time where they haven't run a lot of bootlegs and things like that to get him out uh, on the edge and, and to do some of those things. And there's been other times that he's been quite effective at it. Um, I, you know, I, I do think he, he probably will be able to recover to something close athletically uh, or to be the same player that he was before. Uh, the question again, you know, becomes: Is that good enough? And you know, again, I know we're making the case that this year in the Final Four there were a couple of quarterbacks there that you wouldn't typically put in that spot. But traditionally, you need to have a guy who's something uh, close to a top ten guy to be able to get to a Super Bowl. And that's the place where I just don't know if that's what you project him to be over the next few years. Adam Gase with him and developing rapport with him uh, certainly helps, you know, going forward, uh, you know, in terms of them getting more comfortable with each other and, and being able to work together in a positive way. But I, I just I'm not completely sold on it. I've seen some things from Tannehill that have been, again, positive. Uh, the numbers are good when you stack them up, uh, but it, it just seems like in terms of awareness of situation, that's something that still needs to get better with him. And I, I hate to do this because I, I like to rely more on the numbers than on this sort of, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I test. Yeah. But, but, but that stuff for me with him, I, I don't know. It, it never quite gets where it needs to be with that. When, when I watch him play, um, I don't see what I see from some other quarterbacks. And that's why, again, looking forward at it and you've got a guy who, uh, you know, again, you know, you know, pushing 30 at this stage and, you t- you know, I know you can play deep in your 30s at that position. We obviously Tom Brady has done it, uh, is going to play deep into his 40s. But when I look at this particular draft, I see an opportunity for the Dolphins, uh, you know, potentially at that number 11 spot to be able to get a guy going forward that Adam Gase can build with from scratch. And that might be a better way to go. Yeah, and and if and I guess this sort of depends. I think we try to make some of this boilerplate where we just sort of say, regardless, you you separate the situation, right? Because I think when you talk about the best quarterbacks in the league, they are situation proof. And so if you put Aaron Rodgers on, you know, the Browns, they would immediately become a playoff contender. I would think in the in the AFC. You know, when, when you consider, you know, the draft that they have upcoming, that they've already done some decent work on the roster. They just need quality quarterback play. To me, if you put Aaron Rodgers on the Browns, they'd instantly become a good team. Uh, if you put Tom Brady on, name another dreadful team. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The New York uh, Jets. San Francisco. Well, 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 your best example, Chris, if you're going to go that direction, is mm-hmm. is look at the difference that Garoppolo made for the 49ers right. this year. Um, you know, a, a team that, you know, has been sort of broken down to the bottom floor by John Lynch out there and, and a total rebuild. And then they go on, what was it, a five-game winning right. streak at the end of the year. And I know some of the opponents weren't great, but yeah, that is the difference. And it, I don't know if Garoppolo is going to be that guy, if he's going to be Rodgers, if he's going to be Brady, but clearly the difference that a quarterback can make. And, and that, again, comes back to my point is when you look at Ryan Tannehill, you say, is he good enough to elevate the players around him? Now, again, I know 
and that he hasn't had great offensive lines. I understand that argument. Uh, he obviously has, you know, over the course of his career, had to deal with changes in terms of offensive philosophy and offensive coaches, and that that you know mm-hmm. becomes a hurdle for quarterbacks. And at the receiver position, you know, Mike Wallace was, uh, you know, a bit overrated. I think when he came to Miami, he was not a guy who fought for the ball. You know, he was throwing to guys like you know Hartline uh, has really only had you know one tight end of any quality, and that was you know was Charles Clay. So um, you know, and again, they, and they've rotated running backs since he's yep. been there. So there's there clearly has been a lot of turnover and he has not had elite talent around him. But I also wonder at times if he elevates the players, you know, to the degree. I'm not saying he's not a a he's a decent NFL starting quarterback, but is a decent NFL starting quarterback enough. And, you know, even though I know with Dolphin fans, a lot of fans will take that considering some of the players that have followed Dan Marino over the past, you know, 20 years. But is a decent NFL starting quarterback enough, or should you be reaching for something more? Right, and and that sort of get, get, gets back to the point. I guess we can move to reason number two, because for me, one of the reasons why you don't move on for, from him is because you have a roster that surrounds him that isn't good enough. And I think when you look at the players that they're paying high money to, uh, there's, a, there's a great website called OverTheCap.com that breaks down salary situations around the NFL. And Jason Fitzgerald, their lead writer, did a piece today on the Dolphins' offseason outlook and, and the work that they have to do. And to me, when you look at sort of – he sort of uh, wrote a book about how in the salary cap era teams have managed it and how the good teams – what the good teams have done and what the bad teams have done. And he basically writes that you look at the top two salaries in Dominican Sue and Ryan Tannehill – and you look at the top six salaries when you roll in Rashad Jones, Kiko Alonso, Kenny Stills, and who am I missing? And Andre Branch. Those are the mm-hmm. top six salaries for the Dolphins, right? They both make in and around $10 million or more. Uh, the, the amount of cap space they take up uh, prevents the Dolphins from building the kind of roster that makes quarterback play irrelevant. So I do think that in some respects, the Dolphins can go wild goose chasing by trying to find that quarterback. But I do think that the more replicable model is to become a prudently run franchise that is building quality rosters because we've seen so many teams try and fail to find their Jimmy Garoppolo. And yes, the 49ers did it, and congratulations to them. They'll be drafting in the top 15, and they'll be more than happy in doing so. The Houston Texans are giving up a first-round pick this year, Mm -hmm. um, and they got Deshaun Watson for it, and they're more than happy to do that because their franchise outlook has been forever changed. But how long are you going to keep trying to find that guy instead of, yes, it is at the moment, more of an outlier kind of model. But we've seen even when the Steelers won with Roethlisberger as a rookie, when the Seahawks were winning with Russell Wilson when he wasn't really a fully formed quarterback yet. What's happened in these NFL playoffs, there is an alternate way to winning besides having a great quarterback, and it's having a great roster. And I do think that using a first-round pick on a player who you probably won't play, you probably won't play this year because I don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to be a preseason cut for this team. I think he's the day one starter no matter what happens with the Dolphins in the draft. To me, you do what the Chiefs did with Mahomes when you already have a good roster. And to me, the Dolphins don't. And so I think that is the more sustainable way of building than trying to find the you know the, the inexact science of trying to find a quarterback who is franchise-changing, who can elevate, who does thrive regardless of situation, like a Watson, like a Garoppolo, like a Rodgers, like a Brady. I 
think that it's easier to find quality football players and manage your salary cap well than it is to go and find that player. Well, I, I guess that raises the question here. Do you trust this organization to find one guy at that position or to find a whole bunch of guys at other positions? And I know how difficult it is to find the right quarterback. And for years, the Dolphins really haven't tried, at least not. We've talked about this on another pod, you know, about how they've not drafted quarterbacks over the years, um, even as backups. And we saw this year that they had a backup in Matt Moore who they – kept bringing back they didn't have another guy that they drafted other than what brandon dowdy who was i think a seventh round pick and they basically didn't trust matt moore enough to be the starting quarterback and had to go out and pay 10 million dollars to jay cutler uh which as we look back at that was you know not the smartest move for a whole bunch of reasons so you know the dolphins have not you know put enough resources towards this position even when it's come to the backups that they brought in or the prospects that they could have developed um, and, and I just I think, honestly, Chris, it's it's time to to take a shot at that position because, yeah, obviously, look, number 11 pick in the draft. There's a lot of positions that you could address there. And, and we know that there's a lot of positions that the Dolphins need. They, they clearly uh, they clearly need help at, at the linebacker position. We'll see how Raquan McMillan comes back. But but clearly they could use another another dynamic guy there. They could use, uh, you know, help on the defensive line, even while drafting Charles Harris last year, Cameron Wake, what, 35 years old at this stage. So they need to get younger um, on the defensive line, the offensive line they need to address. They need another running back. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen with Landry, so they may need another receiver. They need at least one more tight end. Uh, That's a lot of needs. So I understand that at the number 11 spot, you could address one of those needs moving forward. But we know that the quarterback position is weighted so heavily in terms of winning and losing in the league. And so I'm okay with putting off addressing some of those needs until the next round and trying to get the guy going forward. And you mentioned the Chiefs, and I understand that the Chiefs have more depth of talent uh, than the Dolphins do at a lot of different positions. And so they could play Alex Smith for one year while having Patrick Mahomes sit. But, But I still think the position is so important to you moving forward that if you have one of these guys, and we see five or six guys who could be first round picks this year uh one of those guys drops to that spot i think you really have to consider it even if it means not getting value out of that pick for a year even if that guy has to sit behind ryan Tannehill, even if it means that there's going to be a controversy and it's going to be a headache in terms of dealing with the media for the entire year and it's going to be a distraction when is this guy going to play and when Tannehill has one bad game there's going to be calls for him to play you know the fans are going to are going to start to ramp up noise wherever the rookie is Absolutely. Oh, no question. And, and that's something that you have to deal with as a coach. But one of the things that that I think would be, you know, look, Adam Gase is entering his third year. And, you know, at this point, this is kind of a make or break year for Adam Gase. And I do think for him, you know, the, the potential of drafting a quarterback in the first round may buy him a little bit more time to implement the things that he wants to implement, because there'll be this feeling that, OK, Gase is going to get his own guy now to build with going forward, it may take in some ways, although I understand it's going to put more pressure on Gase to make a decision, it may take a little bit of pressure off him for the long term where there's more of a feeling that, okay, he'll fulfill his five-year contract because they're bringing in a rookie that he's got to groom. And I think you look at the way that young quarterbacks have affected the coaching statuses of a lot of coaches around the league. Uh, To me, you look at, for example, what happened with Sean McVay this past year. The reason why he's being lauded as a potential Coach of the Year candidate is because when you look at what happened with Jared Goff, he went from, you know, 
a guy who looked like he was going to be out of the league, who looked like a total bust that was a massive mistake by the Los Angeles Rams to a franchise-changing kind of guy, a guy that you're now saying, all right, we kick on with Jared Goff from here, we have our coach, we have our quarterback, let's go. And I think that change in excitement is massive when you compare, for example, what happened with Jeff Fisher where you bring the guy in and if you fail to develop him, then some of that falls on you. But to me, the ultimate ultimate example of that is what happened with Bill O'Brien because you see a lot of conversation in Houston about the friction between the the front office and the coaching staff and there's a lot of conversation oh maybe Bill O'Brien's going to get fired and he starts Tom Savage from the opening day but then all of a sudden he switches up his offense and figures out a way to best take advantage of Deshaun Watson and they look like the most dynamic team in the league they go into New England and nearly win they go into Seattle and they nearly win back when Seattle was healthy and kind of looked like themselves still they turn in these massively impressive performances and now you're sitting around you're going all right we should keep this coach because he developed the quarterback in the way that we wanted since we frankly expanded as a franchise. And mm-hmm. so there, there is that sense of hope that comes from developing that guy. I just wonder if because there are other things to develop on this roster that Adam Gase has worked to do with the offensive line, that Adam Gase has worked to do with Devontae Parker, that you know the entire coaching staff has to work on developing their young players that are already there. I think they have too many other needs than quarterback to really fix it. And I understand that they can be franchise-changing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you know, what happened with Watson, what happened with Garoppolo, what happened with Goff, what happened with Wentz, these are franchise-altering rises in, in improvement, rises in performance. But I just think that they can hold off on it for a year or maybe take someone later who's more of that developmental project who could be your Kirk Cousins, your fourth-round pick who you didn't realize is actually better than the quarterback you already had. Well, I think you take a look at the other thing is we talk about the quarterback they already have. And, you know, you take a look at Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase, you know, got a lot of credit for Tannehill playing better uh, during that eight and five uh, run that he had in 2016 than he had previously. But if you really break down the numbers for Tannehill, it wasn't like he made a major leap, Um, you know, and even getting beyond the eye test here, you know, just looking at the raw numbers here. Yeah, quarterback rating 93.5. Okay, it was up from 88.7 from 2015. Um, right, basically in line with what he did in 2014 when they went eight and eight. He was 92.8. The touchdown to interception ratio, which obviously is part of that quarterback rating. Uh, you know, he was in 2014 27 to 12, 2015 24 to 12, and then 2016 19 to 12. Um, so actually went backwards a little bit in terms of that ratio. Still had the strong completion percentage of 67%. We know how many of those were flats to Landry, right? So, <laughs> I, so, so I, I don't know how much stock you, you know, completion percentage is a number these days that has been inflated by the way that offenses are run. So well, that, that record keeps getting broken every year. This year was Breeze at 72%. Well, I, and, and I think Sam Bradford, right, yep. was over. He broke it last over, year. Broke it last year, and, and Sam Bradford's a guy who I, I don't think anybody considers elite. I think we, we've sort of changed the, the you know sort of the idea of what an elite quarterback is based on some of the numbers. It, it really comes down to yards uh, yards per attempt, I think, is, is really the more important number. And Tannehill was up in that in the last season he played. He went from, you know, the first three years of his, of his career, 6.8, 6.7, 6.9, then 7.2, and then to 7.7. 7. So that that's, you know, a pretty good... Mm-hmm rise there and he hit a few more deep balls so I think that got people off his back but but he didn't make I think I think we exaggerated a little bit you know the strides he made in Gase's first season and so you know again I I think you can win 
with Ryan Tannehill. I, I think if you have all of those other pieces, but I guess the difference of opinion you and I have on this is whether or not they can actually put together all of those other pieces where they can help carry him a little bit instead mm -hmm. of him carrying them. I want to get to my third or the third reason overall here, the reason that I do think this might be a good chance to get a quarterback, and, and that's simply because I, this looks like a pretty good class, Chris. Um, and, and the reason, uh, you know, you know, before every draft, there's always this talk, well, you know, this class isn't that good and there's not that many guys. And then we always see teams trade up, right? Like even last year, you mentioned Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, you take a look at the, the trade up for Trubisky, which, you know, looked kind of ridiculous at the time, you know, to move up one spot, you know, to, to, to get him. But he showed some promising signs in Chicago. And, and we've seen this consistently that teams end up sort of panicking and trading up. Uh, to get quarterbacks during the draft, even when it's not considered to be a good class. Th this looks like a pretty good class. And, and again, I come back to the diversity of it. There, there's just a lot of different types of quarterbacks. And, and it does look like an opportunity for Adam Gase to find a guy, instead of trying to take a guy in Ryan Tannehill and make him a fit with his system, and, and there are some characteristics Tannehill has that do make him a good fit for Gase's system, but he can find a guy that, that he feels is sort of perfect for it from scratch. And, and you know, again, you take a look at you know having Josh Rosen and and Sam Darnold. Obviously, Sam Darnold, you know, with a, with a uh, you know you know bigger quarterback, Josh Allen, another bigger quarterback, six foot five, but uh, not the greatest accuracy. And then you know you look on the other side, you've got Baker Mayfield and and Lamar Jackson, who you know in terms of Baker Mayfield and and you know, better accuracy. Obviously, the question will be about his height, but that hasn't bothered Drew Brees too much over the course of his career. And then Lamar Jackson with the ability to get out of the pocket and make some plays in addition, you know, to being, I think, a much better thrower than he's given credit for. This is an opportunity, you know, I think to get a guy at 11, even with some teams maybe trading up into that spot, in, in, into a spot above the Dolphins, where the Dolphins may still be able to get the fourth, say the fourth quarterback on the board still might be a guy who fits the Dolphin system in a way that Adam Gase would like. Yeah, and, and it's sort of a, a compelling quarterback group because I think it'll, it'll lead to the dichotomy of opinion that I think sort of makes uh, this science so inexact. I think you'll see, you know, some teams fall in love with the you know tangibles the the measurables of Josh Allen a guy who's tall and and, and kind of looks the part but I, I don't particularly rate you have Sam Darnold a guy who you know was a college star and was kind of the consensus number one guy ahead of the season but didn't do a ton to improve it you have Rosen who's kind of been this kind of steady player but in a really bad situation you have Lamar Jackson who kind of represents what we thought the future of the position would be but is he accurate enough and then to me Baker Mayfield is the ultimate wild card and the guy I'm frankly most interested in because I, I'm really curious to really if the Dolphins do go into the draft in the first round and pick a guy that they really like and they go for him right kind of like how they did with Deion Jordan oddly enough going from 12 to 3 to go and find their quarterback if the Dolphins do something similar because they really like a guy this show is sponsored by BetterHelp What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, 
had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'll, I'll be curious to find out which of those five it'll be. Now, Mason Rudolph is kind of the, in sort of the outside territory there. But I, I do wonder if it is Mayfield. Uh, that sort of the the things that that are going against him right now, the lack of height, the system that he played in, and some of the some of the off field stuff that I think some people care about, I don't particularly, but I I do wonder if they do decide that they really like a guy, or if it starts to get leaked by reporters that they really like a guy, which of the five it is, and which Adam Gase particularly rates, because I do think that there is a possibility they can fall in love with somebody in this process, and there is a lot of variety, a lot of options on for the Dolphins to go and try and make this choice of of who they want to be their quarterback of the future if they think it's necessary. Now, here's the thing, right? We're, and to steal a line from you, uh, to, <laughs> we're, we're never going to know if they don't take somebody that they're just i don't think they they would come out and say well we didn't really like anybody in this group and the fans might howl and say oh we really we really like Mayfield well what if they studied it they know more about football than we do and they just didn't like any of the guys like i i think we we can't know that reasoning but if they don't take a quarterback i don't think that necessarily means that they weren't thinking about it it could just mean that they didn't like any of these players as much as the rest of the league did i don't think there is a consensus opinion about any of this as evidenced by the fact that you've seen guys from Blake Bortles and Jake Locker going in the first round and Jimmy Garoppolo going later and Dak Prescott going later and and just, there just isn't any consensus on how this stuff gets analyzed and so it is entirely possible that the dolphins can look at this group and just not like anybody it's possible, and and you know you go back to Russell Wilson going in the third right. round, and and a lot of teams just didn't didn't value the things in him that have sort of come to the forefront as he's been a pro, and and again there were some of the same questions about him that there are not the character questions, uh, but but the height question that that comes into play with Mayfield, and and yet we've seen Russell Wilson have more success than guys who were drafted ahead of him, um, including Ryan Tannehill, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the same draft. And and you're right. I mean, it could just be that, that the Dolphins get to, you know, that, that when uh, the number 11 pick comes up, if the Dolphins have not made a move to trade up or to trade down, that the, the quarterback that they really love just didn't fall to them. Um, and th- that's a possibility. I mean, they might fall in love with Josh Rosen, but that doesn't mean that Josh Rosen's going to be there right. when they when they pick. Um, and and Mayfield, as you mentioned, is is a huge wild card here. Um, I do th- I think he'll get drafted on the high end um, I, because I, again I I think that the teams 
when they see the success that some of these sort of shorter quarterbacks in the NFL have had, and and you know Breeze and Russell Wilson come to mind first, that that I think they'll put that aside a little bit, and that they're looking for somebody to energize their team. Then some of these so-called character issues with Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield become less important because clearly that's something that he can do. I don't think there's a question about whether or not he has the it factor per se. It's right. maybe whether that it factor goes a little bit too far. So can I can I, can I very quickly kind of register uh, one of the things that might help the Dolphins in this regard uh, is for me you look at the top eleven. So the Dolphins are at eleven, and I would say you can rule out one. So okay, so let's go through it. So the Browns pick twice in the first four picks. Mm-hmm. Now it's and they're entire- going to take a quarterback. Will they? I mean, maybe. It, it depends on, on if they go for for a free agent option and maybe you know give it another go with the Sean Kaiser. But let, let's just say they do. Right? Uh, the Giants. I think maybe they're thinking about it, but they're another team that they can talk themselves into. We're not far away. We had a bad I- injury year. We, we too, need to rebuild our roster a little bit and, and kind of make those kinds of decisions rather than trying to replace Eli Manning. We can keep going. Andrew Luck, I don't think that they would replace him in round one. Maybe they draft a guy later on, but uh, you know, obviously you want to keep trying to give it a go with him even if he's not totally healthy. Then the Browns again. Then the Broncos and the Broncos an interesting one because they might go and do that, but I think they fancy themselves as closer than a yeah. team that's going to take a quarterback in round one. They're a Kirk Cousins candidate. They're a Case Keenum candidate. They're a, a, a veteran guy. I think the Jets will definitely take quarterback at six, whoever mm-hmm. that might be. But the Bucks have Winston. The Bears have Trubisky. The Raiders have Derek Carr. And the 49ers have Garoppolo. So unless you really start, te- you really start seeing teams – Entering, entering into the trade market to go and get their guy, you know, in that sort of group of teams in behind them, you know, that include Cincinnati, that include Arizona, that include, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Buffalo maybe, going from, you know, having two first-round picks, 21-22, to go and find something uh, up near the top, the, a guy that they like. So unless teams start doing that, I do think the Dolphins at least have a chance to maybe wait on a guy that they believe to be their guy, not give up resources to go and do it, and maybe the the lack of competition for these guys can end up helping them in the long run. Yeah, no, it definitely could. And you mentioned some of the other teams that you know, are sort of in a similar spot. Like, you take a look at at Cincinnati, per se. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of in a position. Obviously, the rest of that roster has hemorrhaged a little bit here over the past few years. And for some reason, they've decided to stay with Marvin Lewis going forward. But they've kind of been in this position with Andy Dalton that the Dolphins have been in with Ryan Tannehill, which is our guy's pretty good. Is he good enough? And it seems like after this past year that there may be a feeling that that he's not. And so, right. yeah, you probably need to get a young guy. A lot of it, again, will come down to the veteran market, too, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's only one Kirk Cousins in the market. So we talk about all the teams that could go for him. Denver makes a lot of sense. Jacksonville is a possibility. Then what happens to Bortles there? Maybe yep. he moves somewhere else. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, obviously a player who could be out on the market. There aren't a ton all, of all, all uh, of Minnesota's quarterbacks can start for somebody else. Uh, yes, you, you maybe you maybe think someone can talk themselves into Nick Foles, given that he's going to play in the Super Bowl on Sunday, uh, and maybe pluck him off of Philly. Uh, so, yes. so there there are some guys available, but let, let's sort of talk about that very quickly. That may that maybe he's good enough quarterback, right? So, so you look through the league right now, and I would say the Dolphins, the Bengals, Washington, Arizona, Detroit, Buffalo. Uh, I guess you can start to put Tennessee and Tampa in that category too, uh, Minnesota, and and you kind of go on down the line of 
uh, is the guy that we have good enough? Like, I really think that is sort of the pressing question of our time. And I think it's interesting to see how the different teams have handled it, whether it's Kansas City saying, okay, we're going to go with our rookie, or uh, Washington, you know, getting rid of Cousins but rolling the dice with Alex Smith as their guy. Like, I, I really do find it curious how these teams are handling these situations. And I wonder if sort of the Dolphins are in the, the next in line to make that decision, whether it's roll, roll it again with Tannehill or try a young route. And I think that really is the genesis of this conversation is what is good enough in the NFL? And I think that definition is ever-changing. It is, and I think this got held up because of Tannehill's injuries. Correct. Because if he didn't have the injuries, I think they would have made a decision on that already. And you know, maybe they would have even made the decision not this past season, but the season before, and seen how he finished that thing out. And obviously, didn't get an opportunity with Matt Moore finishing out the season and, and then going to the playoffs. So I, I think the Dolphins, you know, this has been pushed back a little bit. But yeah, a, a lot of it has to do with how how much time you've given a guy. You mentioned Tampa and Tennessee. I, I don't know that either of those two guys have have there's enough time there to make that decision you know you could argue that Mariota was still getting better this year uh and now they're changing you know, offensive coordinator and coach to try and fix this again and, and yeah and there was the injury last year and with with Winston there were big expectations this year they had a lot of problems a lot of things went wrong for Tampa this season and obviously they're in a very tough division and so there are a lot of things to factor in there so a lot of it does depend on how much time you give a guy mm-hmm. I mean you Cincinnati has clearly given Andy Dalton enough time to, to for them to make that decision and we've seen that with Andy Dalton you know as as the team has gotten worse around him and and so, he had they, they had great talent that Dalton's not been a guy who's been able to elevate so let me ask you this question who is the baseline in the NFL for what's good enough in your mind well i think again if you look at the AFC um, the three quarterbacks who dominated the AFC over the past what 17 18 years mm-hmm. um, one of them's retired in Peyton Manning uh, and the other two, you know, we don't know how much longer they're going to play. But right. but clearly, uh, clearly Brady and Roethlisberger have been good enough, right? So other quarterbacks in the AFC, um, you know, again, I, I don't know that there's uh, a consensus next guy there. You know, we thought maybe Derek Carr would be that guy. Um, at least I did yeah. this past year. Seriously slid, regressed, though. Seriously. He, right. He, I mean, he took a big step back. Um, you know, you take a look at uh, at Kansas City. Alex Smith has always been sort of that question. Is, you know, is Alex Smith good enough? Is Ryan Tannehill better than Alex Smith? Washington made a decision that Alex Smith at a cheaper salary than Kirk Cousins was good enough to be a Kirk Cousins replacement. Does Washington really view him as a guy who can take you to a Super Bowl? I think even that even with Alex Smith's numbers getting better in a, on a lot of the metrics, I don't know that he's necessarily that guy. So um, I, I, to your point, I mean, there aren't a lot of guys who you clearly name. I think Drew Brees, even at this stage, good enough, right? Um, you know, you take a look at the rest of the NFC. Would you throw Philip Rivers of, in that category? Uh, well, I've always felt that Philip Rivers belongs in that category, although the Chargers have not had a lot of postseason success. And not uh, a lot of end-of-game success. Right. So, I, you know, I, is Philip Rivers better than Ryan Tannehill? The yes. numbers say that he is, right? Um, but but he hasn't been able to take them there. And again, you look at the rest of the NFC, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are question marks. You know, Dak Prescott was a guy who emerged in his first season. Uh, that team looked like it was good enough to potentially go to a Super Bowl with and then, him. And, and, then, and then we kind of saw what it looks like without Zeke and without Tyron right. Smith, without the league's best offensive line. 
Right. And then you look at the, a couple of young guys who just haven't had enough time to, you know, for us to evaluate it. But uh, Carson Wentz looked like he was good enough to get to a Super Bowl this year. And and, it, it, you know, he is going to a Super Bowl, although not the way that we expected. Uh, and then you take a look at Jared Goff in in Los Angeles with the Rams and and Jared Goff looks like a guy who potentially get there. So mm-hmm. I, I guess to, to to your point, and, and it's a good point that there aren't a lot of guys who you clearly say are elite that you know you're expecting them to compete for Super Bowls year after year, and that it is, is an it's the baseline level of quarterback play. Like to me, the baseline level of quarterback play is Joe Flacco. Like, like to me, given the fact that he, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because he won one. I'm saying that because he got there, right? Like Eli Manning has gotten there. To me, Eli Manning and Joe Flacco are the baseline of what it takes. And if you're asking me, can Ryan Tannehill be Joe Flacco or Eli Manning with you know the right you know, talent around him with the right coaching around him. I would say the answer is yes for me. What about you? I, I think you need the right, as you mentioned, the right talent and the right coaching around him. And that's where I come back to that question of, <laughs> do you trust this front office? Right. Uh, I don't know about the coach yet because uh, there were a lot of things from Adam Gase over the first two years that I've liked. And there have been some things uh, that have been a little bit questionable. Um, you know, I think, again, uh, some of the decisions that he made this past year, and particularly some of the work as a play caller, didn't work out all that well. But but there have been some things in terms of accountability with his players that I think has been useful. And, and I'm, you know, I'm still not at a point to sort of give up on him. I know a lot of Dolphin fans are. But, uh, but as far as the front office goes, I, I don't know that you'll be able to put the talent around Tannehill uh, to be able to elevate his play and whether or not his numbers. I mean, again, you look at uh, Tannehill's numbers, which are fine, and in, in some categories, you look at total yardage over his first four seasons, and all that stuff's really good. But uh, again, when you look at the overall numbers, and you say, okay, guys like Goff, like Wentz, uh, like Prescott in the first year, put up better numbers than Ryan Tannehill ever has, right? And in their first or second seasons, and so you figured, and I know Dak took a step back this year, but you figured their trajectory was still going up, whereas it did look to me like Tannehill maybe made some progress in some areas in the last season that he played, but was not making sort of the big progress to get to the next level. All right, so let me go ahead and move to my fourth reason here, uh, and this will kind of be a quick one. One of the things that I noticed uh, when you're talking about keeping Ryan Tannehill is how much Adam Gase has become his staunchest defender. He's, it's almost like uh, Kevin Durant Twitter egg defending Kevin Durant. I, I, I really do think that Adam Gase has taken up this cause of he was brought in to help Ryan Tannehill. He was, helped, he was brought in to improve this offense, and I really do think he's determined to make it work, and he doesn't even entertain the possibility that somebody else could start or that, someone, that he's not his guy. Ryan Tannehill is his guy, and when you look at the way that he's behaved, both in public and in private, I, I've been in a few. I went in a few locker rooms following Dolphins games, working for the Dolphins broadcast this year, and you see after every game, win or loss, Adam Gase following his post game press conference is at Ryan Tannehill's locker talking with him. And this is a guy who's on injured reserve, is going to play no role in the season, and yet we'll sit down next to him and have a chat about what he thought about the game. Or I don't know what they're talking about, but either way, he's keeping Ryan Tannehill engaged, giving off the very public message: "This is my guy," and. I do think there is a certain degree of confidence a player can take from that, and there is a certain message that incends, hey, stop trying to replace this guy. He's my guy. I believe in him. And I think if the coach believes that, then maybe he's not going to be inclined to want to find his replacement. It doesn't, maybe doesn't think his replacement is necessary. Now, Adam Gates came in with a very sterling reputation, 
there are some people who think that reputation has taken some hits over the course of these two seasons since he's been here in Miami by some of the things that have happened. But to me, when if you trust Adam Gase, then Adam Gase trusts Ryan Tannehill. And I think you kind of, if you respect his opinion, which I do, then I respect his opinion that he believes in Ryan Tannehill. I respect his opinion about this position, obviously, more than any other position. Because as you mentioned, this is the reason... I mean, this was the big reason for the hire, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you know, bright guy in a lot of different ways. But what was touted more than anything else was his work with quarterbacks, with the respect that Peyton Manning had for him, with Jay Cutler having his best season, arguably, uh, playing for Adam Gase, you know, with Adam Gase in his ear all the time. So if you're going to trust him about any position, this is the position to trust him with. Um, With that being said... You know, if you take a look at the decision to bring in Cutler this past season, you mentioned one of the marks against Adam Gase, and Cutler wasn't awful, but certainly was not, you know, did not play anywhere near at the level that that he played with in his best season under Gase. And and, and, and th- as a team, the Dolphins turned in some of the worst offense in the entire NFL this year. They probably mm-hmm. should have been shut out three times this season. Right, and, and the, their struggles, particularly in first halves, where you know they, they, it seemed like the the game plan that was designed uh, didn't work in any way, and so I do think that his reputation took a little bit of a hit as as a result of that. As far as his trust in Tannehill, uh, I certainly respect that, and I certainly think that plays a role in all of this. I guess again, the question going forward is, you know, do the other players on the team? believe in Tannehill because in talking to people who've been around the team and all the rest you know there's there's always been some questions about that um behind the scenes and, you know, and, as and, far and, as... and we can talk about her as kind of uh, uh you know an off the wall kind of voice but I do think that <laughs> I, Miko, I know where you're going I do think that Miko Grimes gave voice to something that exists in the Dolphins locker room I really do yeah from what I've heard uh that's the case I don't and, think and that so... was an uneducated opinion from her N- no, I don't. And, and a lot of those players are gone. Um, they're not there anymore in, in terms of players who didn't think Tannehill was at that level. And of course, there was the thing a couple of years ago about him getting on the practice squad players and all of that. And, and so, you know, do the players on that team believe in him as a leader? Do they think that he's a guy who can take them, you know, places? Because we've seen that can be. And again, I know this is eye test stuff or sentimental stuff or intangible stuff and all the rest. And I usually don't buy into a whole bunch of that. But I I do think at that position, more than any other in sport, it is critical that the players that you're playing with believe in that guy. Um, If they don't believe in that guy, everything starts to crater. And so while I don't get the impression, and again, I'm not around the team like I used to be around the Dolphins, uh, but I I just, I, I don't get, while I don't get the impression that, that there's a feeling that he's not good at all, I also it doesn't come across in terms of the way that they they played with him, uh, the way that they speak of him, that they view him as, okay, this is a guy who's going to take us there. And so I do think that matters too as you know as much as what the coach thinks of him. I, I, and I agree with you. I do think that there are times where when players are defending him, it almost feels like they have to rather than they actually believe it. And I, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, there's, t- to me, two positions in sports where that belief matters. Uh, it's quarterback, and then, it, oddly enough, in hockey yeah. and in soccer, the belief mm-hmm. in the goaltender slash the goalkeeper. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen it happen now too often in soccer, sort of recently, where you see a team that just does not believe in their goalkeeper, and it craters their, their, their defense. So I, I, I do think that 
there, there, that belief does matter. And that there are intangible stuff that there are intangible things that matter at quarterback. As much as we, you know, want to think that a quarterback can be Jake Cutler, who's the opposite of intangible guy and go and win. You don't see it a ton. I mean, Joe Flacco is kind of the, the counter example, but you know, for the most part, there's a belief, there's a confidence that, that comes with, with high-level quarterback play. Uh, now, you don't know if the great quarterback play creates the confidence or if it's vice versa, but I, I do think that there are intangible things that matter with that position. It does, And the guy doesn't have to be liked all that much necessarily. I mean, we've seen some of the mm-hmm. stuff that's come out of Seattle, for instance, right. where the, the defense didn't seem to like or key guys on the defense, Richard Sherman, et cetera. At least the, this was the report on ESPN that you know a lot of those guys didn't like Russell Wilson all that much or thought that he got too much credit. But it's also uh, clear when you see the way that, that guys respond to him offensively uh, that there's a belief in Russell Wilson to be able to make plays that sometimes don't seem to be there and to be able to bring them back. And again, that's the, that's the thing with Tannehill is the numbers are fine. Does he have those intangible factors um, to be able to sort of lift the team over the top? And, and, and to me, that's the question. And if you if you see a guy in this draft who you think has those things and, you know, who knows if it's again, if, if it's, you know, a guy like even, you know, Lamar Jackson, that would seem to be early at number 11 to pick him. Uh, maybe you trade down and take him. But if it's a guy like Lamar Jackson who, uh, you know, made so many plays out of nothing in college or a guy like Baker Mayfield um, and the numbers that he put up or whether it's a more traditional player. Again, I don't think you're going to be able to move up to get say Josh Rosen, but uh, a more traditional player like that, you know, there is enough variety in this draft that you may be able to find that guy. I want to get to uh, our fifth and final reason here. I guess I'll finish up this one. And again, this is sort of another intangible touchy feely thing here, but, but I do think that this franchise needs a jolt. Um, and I do think that taking a quarterback, even with all the issues that it creates in terms of the media coverage of it and the questions that the coach is getting asked and the pressure that's put on the starter if the starter remains the starter even when the rookie comes in, um, even with all of that, having another guy that, that this, this organization could potentially sell going forward um, and re-energizing this fan base in some way, I think would be, you know, would be a big positive. And, you know, you, you say you don't want to just try to win the press conference. You want to win games. But I do think that this franchise, to a certain degree, uh, needs to start winning some fans back by giving them something to hold on to a little bit. And we know, although you don't want to base all your decisions on what the fans think, but we know that, that a lot of the fan base is simply not sold um, on the starting quarterback, well, I think on it's, Ryan it's not Tano. just not sold; it's just out, just just yeah, fi- I, I, finally out on him. Right. I, I just don't think they think things are going to change in any significant positive way with him as a starter going forward. And so, although again, I don't usually play into a lot of that stuff, I do think for this particular franchise, having somebody else that they could sort of put in lights here a little bit and say, you know, we're building towards something. Uh, you know, with this guy, this this is going to be the, the starter going forward. And and again, you look at what happened, in, as you mentioned, in, in Kansas City, even though they had a lot of talent around Alex Smith, you know, I wonder if the fans in Kansas City really thought, okay, we're going to win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith. Now, will they win and, any with, with Mahomes? I, I'm not sure, but, but there is a new level of excitement that's sort of generated there. And I think they saw a Week 17 game where Patrick Mahomes made some ridiculous plays. They saw some preseason games. So there's enough there to – there's a foundation, there's a basis for that belief. But I do think I, – I think you're right, and I think that it comes back to this question that we've been asking throughout the entirety of the pod, which is what's good enough, right? And I do think that 
if you're constantly asking what's good enough, the answer is self-evident, right? If you're basically saying Ryan Tannehill is going to be 30, and you're and the and the the key question going into the season is still, well, is Ryan Tannehill going to be good enough to get us into the playoffs? The answer is no, because if it's an unanswered question in year six, what makes you think year six is going to provide the answer? And so I, I do think that there is a Groundhog Day element. To, although, will it actually be year seven? Yeah, it'll be year seven for Tannehill. Year seven. That's incredible because, obviously, he got injured in year five and then missed year six. So, yeah, this will be year seven for him. So, year seven where you're asking the same question, and I do think there is a Groundhog Day element to, well, what happens at the quarterback position that you're right. They, do, they would have to mix things up a bit. I just wonder if that's after year seven rather than before it. And while that does sound absurd, uh, I, I do think that – they can do one more year of roster building, and then I think they have the potential to really, to, to really clear the decks in 2018. And if they want this restart, they can go for it in 2018. Because you look at dead cap numbers uh, and, and talking about some of the albatross contracts that the Dolphins have, uh, the, cap, the cap numbers that come down. Andre Branch goes down to $2 million in 2019. They can cut him. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's number goes down to $2.3 million. So if you're really dead set on getting rid of him, you can just go forward with this year and then get rid of him next year. Kiko Alonso goes down to three. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Kenny Stills goes down to six and a half. That's not tremendous, but uh, that's, you know, well enough. To me, you can basically offload the decks. You give it a go maybe one more time in 2018, and if it didn't work, then you clear the decks and find whatever quarterback prospect you like the following year. Now, maybe that is the case for taking a guy this year and then right. leading the and leading the transition era with your new guy next year, but... I think you try and find ready-made day one contributors at guard, at tight end. Maybe if you have to get rid of a few guys, whether it's Jawan James at right tackle or Mike Pouncey at center or Jarvis Landry at receiver, uh, then you go and replace those positions. Maybe another D lineman, maybe another linebacker. You give it a go at trying to fill those roster holes. Give this a go and try and have the best team you can that's ready-made for 2018. And I don't think that includes taking a quarterback in round one. But I'm going to use what you're saying to make my case that you do take one now because I, I think you, you Damn, get one. Foiled you, again. You, <laughs> no, but I think <laughs> I think you I think you get one year ahead of it, Chris. I mean that that's mm-hmm. it's particularly in, in a you know what seems to be a reasonably deep quarterback draft. And again, we don't know where I don't know that it's going to be you know that low in the draft. But you don't know where you're going to be picking in 2019. Also, so here you are in 2018 and you're picking 11th. Uh, you're hoping you're not going to be in that position again. If you are, Adam Gase may not even get an opportunity Correct. to coach a fourth year. Um, so I, the, only, I think, the only way he may have that opportunity is if there were signs from a quarterback that he drafted that showed towards the end of the season, and you think, okay, let's give him a chance to coach it. Right, and then if you look, and if Adam Gase is not going to be your coach beyond the third year, then we're getting back to all the topics we talked about Correct. in the previous pod about how now you've got to rebuild the whole thing again with and players else's who may image. or may not, yeah, somebody somebody who may not fit. Uh, the same coaching style as Adam Gase, and so you've got players who don't fit anymore. And so, uh, to me, if you have an opportunity here at 11 to grab a guy in a in what looks to be a pretty deep quarterback draft, I think you do it. As I mentioned, I think it does buy Gase a little bit more time to implement things. He can go with Tannehill this year if he does believe in him. Um, and look, you know, again, if Kansas City with Alex Smith had not, you know, faded during the second half of the season, if they 
and then blown a, a and then blown a three score lead in a playoff game in a playoff game then then maybe even with you know as good as Mahomes looked at the end of the year uh, you know maybe circumstances are different you decide you roll it back with Alex Smith one more year so um, you know and again there would have been some in Kansas City who wouldn't have loved that but you can go with Tannehill for this year and then into the next year you know as the starter and then eventually this you know player that you draft takes over so I just think at that position. The, the quicker that you can get a guy that you like into your system and start to develop him and, and, and sort of build hope for the future and get him aligned with the head coach, um, I, I think the better. And although, again, it makes for some uncomfortable situations, um, you know, th- there have been players who have been more accomplished than Ryan Tannehill who've had to deal with that in the past. And eventually teams have to make a decision. San Francisco had to make a decision between, you know, when they were going to elevate Steve Young at some point, right. And, and get rid of Joe Montana and Ryan Tannehill is not Joe Montana. So uh, eventually, right. uh, so, so eventually you do that. And, and I think, you know, again, if, if Tannehill comes back this year and plays great, um, then maybe it buys you a little bit more time and, and you move forward with him. But, but I do think if you can get a guy in there, uh, it would make sense. And the other example you brought up, you know, again, I, I keep coming back to this with with Houston this year. You know, we saw what and, and this was a guy who they 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 weren't going to start from the start of the season. Deshaun Watson didn't win the job out of camp um, and they were going with with Tom Savage, of all people. Um, but we saw again, you know, it how it a half, though, in fairness. <laughs> That's true. It was a pretty awful half. <laughs> but but uh, but we what we saw anyway in this seven game sample size that you had with or six or seven game sample size you had with Deshaun Watson, you know, what what that franchise is going to be going forward. And even though they finished four and 12 after he got hurt, um, you know, there's optimism in, in Houston going forward. So you I think build, you almost don't even care that they finished uh, that, no. that poorly. You, it, well, it's they, irrelevant. And they clearly didn't care because they kept bringing in, you know, garbage, you know, uh, backup quarterbacks and, right. and didn't go out and, you know, even sign Kaepernick and give themselves a shot that way when they had an opportunity to do so and try to keep the season alive in an AFC where it looked at the time like you might be able to even compete, you know, without Deshaun Watson because it didn't look like anybody was going to win nine, you know, that you were going to have the, the last wild card team even win nine games. So, um, again, I think if you can bring in a guy. Uh, that you like here, I think you do it, and you, that doesn't mean that Tannehill doesn't play this year. You, 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 you know, you, you, you see how it goes at the beginning of the season if he wins the job in camp, which he probably would do, and and then you know again second year possibility, but maybe you turn the you know turn it over a rookie in that second year or or a second year player in that second year. I uh, I, I think you won this one, Ethan, because uh, I I've. I've definitely wavered on this subject. It's it's one of the fascinating conundrums of the modern NFL. What's good enough? And teams around the league are asking themselves that when they don't have Rodgers, when they don't have Brady, uh, even though the standards of quarterback play have changed around the league, you are starting to see the next group of guys. To me, the, the next sort of step, though, is can they stay healthy? Because uh, you look at some of what's happened with Watson, with Wentz, but you kind of you go up and down the standings, and you know, Indian, uh, Houston feels great right now. San Francisco feels great right now going forward. I'd say Dallas feels pretty good. Uh, and then you kind of head into the playoffs. I think the Rams probably you know, had one of the best turnarounds at the quarterback position. So those are four teams right there that went from kind of destitute to promising in the space of one season. And it's all at the quarterback position that changes it. So I, uh, I, I do understand the point. And, and I, I've, I can definitely be talked into if the Dolphins draft Baker Mayfield at 11, I would be totally okay with it. 
Well, I think the fan base here would be would be very okay with it. Agreed. Um, for sure. And, and again, that's the other thing to deal with, Chris, is if if there is a quarterback there at 11, like you said, there may not be a guy that they like, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a guy that a lot of the fans like. Right. And and that's Some, something else. Sometimes that guy is Brady Quinn, though. Like sometimes sometimes the fans that are wrong. guy is Brady Quinn, and the fans are wrong. And actually, Ted Ginn turned out to be a better sometimes, player. Than Brady sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, Vince Young is there, and Mario Williams is the better draft pick. I mean, it's okay. the fans are not always right, but sometimes they are. <laughs> right, but if they take a, and I, I understand the need for a guard, but if you if you're taking, and I, I don't think they're going to take a guard at eleven, but if you took a guard at eleven with Baker Mayfield there on the clock, yeah. Whew. <laughs> that would be bad, man. Try and yet, and yet, I would be like on the forefront of defending that decision because, good God, am I tired of watching bad offensive line play in in, in Miami football? I just I can't deal with it anymore. And even, no. I I don't care the amount of resources that it takes to fix it. I just I'm tired of drives, big moments being decided by bad offensive line play. It's happened. Too Maybe much. they'll take seven offensive linemen this year and see how that works <laughs> out. They could go that direction. Well, if you think I won this one, that's okay because I think you won the MLS one. Uh, because I, I'm I'm pretty excited about getting those soccer tickets. So we'll uh, we'll call this one even. Fair enough. All right, so that was the sixth edition of the Five Reasons podcast. Uh, please subscribe. We we tweet out. Uh, Chris tweets out the links. I'm going to start tweeting them out as well. He's at Chris Whittingham. Uh, I am at Ethan J Skolnick. You can also find me on Instagram at E J Skolnick. Where do you at on Instagram, Chris? I'm at C Whittingham on uh, on Instagram. All right, so we will be we'll be putting out the links. You can find us on. Uh, what are we on now? We're on Stitcher, right? Yep. For uh, we're on we're on iTunes and we're on Google Play. That's where we're at right now. Still working on Spotify. All right, so we got those three spots. Please subscribe. We'll be tuning out, uh, turning out uh, two or three a week here, going forward. What is uh, what is the next topic we wanted to cover? Have we decided that well, yet? Well, I think we, so. We're taping this on a Wednesday night. Uh, we are in the middle of watching the Heat take on the Cavaliers. At present moment, uh, the Heat are as uh, they went to commercial break, so I don't have the score in front of me. The Heat are down by one in Cleveland, and uh, they are three of twenty-six from three, and so. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what the outcome of this game is if the Heat end up with the three seed by the end of the evening. I have a feeling we might be talking some Heat basketball tomorrow. I think we can do that. So we'll uh, we'll get to that. So thank you for listening, and as I said, please subscribe. 